And I want to talk to you about uh, the communal consequences of sin, that sometimes we have to pay or experience God's judgment or God's consequences on somebody else's sin. And there are lots of biblical examples of that. One of them is that when God comes to Egypt and Pharaoh to begin the ten plagues that he brings against Pharaoh so that Moses can bring his people out, the Israelites had to live through the first few just because they lived in the land of Egypt with the Egyptians. God's going to judge the Egyptians. The Israelites have to live through it. So sometimes when God has to judge a group of people or bring consequences for sin, um, even the righteous have to live through that experience. We may even be experiencing that in our country right now. But um, Joshua and Caleb, when, when the tribes get to the promised land after coming through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, they send 12 spies into the promised land. And they go and 10 of the spies come back and they say, there's giants in the land, we can't take it. And Joshua and Caleb say, yes, we can. We can do it. God has promised that he's given us the land. And yes, there's giants, but there's great big good things there too. And the people hold a vote and uh, they outvote Joshua and Caleb. Every time there's an election in Scripture, bad things happen. The people voted on whether to go in the promised land and they voted on King Saul and they voted on Jesus' crucifixion. That's the only three elections in Scripture and they're all three satanic. But I will not go further down that rabbit trail. Joshua and Caleb wanted to obey God, but the rest of the people, a hundred thousand to a million of them, we don't know exactly how many people there were, they all outvoted Joshua and Caleb. And so for the next 38 and a half years of their life, Joshua and Caleb have to wander around the wilderness paying for somebody else's sin. Hello? But they didn't leave their people. You never hear them complaining. They never blame, well, it's your stupid fault. I would be in the promised land by now if it wasn't for you. Hello. They're not blaming. They're not complaining. They're not griping. They just stay faithful to God. And when they're 80 years old, they get to go into the promised land. And Caleb says, I'm just as strong and healthy as I was when I was 40. God supernaturally sustained them because of their obedience 40 years later. But they still had to lose those 40 years of their life because of somebody else's sin. In the book of Daniel, we get introduced to characters Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And these guys are somewhere between the ages of 15, 16, and 20 when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army come into Israel and conquer everybody and they kill most of the Israelites and then they haul the rest of them off to Babylon. And these teenage boys were castrated and hauled off as slaves to Babylon to pay for the sins of their great-great-grandparents. God had promised that destruction of Israel years earlier, before it happened. They just happened to be the generation that was alive when it happened. Never hear Daniel getting bitter. We never hear him blaming his ancestors. In fact, in Daniel 9, when he's interceding for his nation, Daniel prays, we did this and we did that and we did this and we did that, and all of it happened before he was even born. But he includes himself in the national sin. Some of you are like, well, I don't participate in America's sins. If you have Cain's attitude, you can expect Cain's results. You are your brother's keeper. We are all in this together. When David takes a census in First Chronicles, I'm not exactly sure why that's so bad in God's eyes, but even Joab tells David, don't do it. It's not a good idea. God will judge it. But David does it anyway. 
He sins against God by taking a census. He's counting his, his own strength, his own army, I think, instead of relying on the strength of God. That's what's so sinful about this, I believe. But God sends a prophet to him, and God says, I'm going to judge you for your sin. I'm going to let you choose the consequences of your sin. And the prophet gives him three options, none of which are going to happen to David. They're all going to happen to the people of Israel. He says you can choose natural disaster, you can choose disease, or you can choose invasion from a foreign army. But because the king screwed up, the entire country has to pay. So there is this biblical proof that sometimes we have to pay for other people's sin. Sometimes, especially when it's an authority figure that makes a bad decision, a king or a president or so on, then everybody has to pay for that. But there's also, in Scripture, inherited sin. Um, In 2 Samuel 21, there's a famine and a drought in the land of Israel, and David and his prophets and his priests, they fast and they call on the Lord, and God, why are you not sending rain? God sends a prophet and he says, it's because of Saul's treatment of the Gibeonites. And that had happened over 20 years earlier, and Saul has been dead for 15 years. God is judging something King Saul did 20 years earlier, but David and his generation are the ones that have to live through it. I don't know exactly how that works or why God delays in his judgment of sin, but that's what he tells him. And David has to take care of what Saul messed up. David has to fix it so that God's judgment is appeased. When David and Bathsheba sinned in adultery, who paid for their sin? Bathsheba's husband and their child both died. David and Bathsheba didn't pay. Uriah paid for his own wife's adultery, and his wife that cheated on him did not pay. At least not immediately. When the Israelites attacked Jericho, and the wall, God knocks the walls down and they sack the city, God told them you cannot touch any money. You cannot take any holy things. You cannot have anything of value. It's all mine. It's a picture of the tithe, the first fruits. A man named Achan finds some gold, sneaks it, digs a hole under his tent, lays a rug over the top of it, and he hides this gold. In the next battle, Joshua leads the troops, and they get decimated in the next battle by a tiny little army. And Joshua falls on his face before the Ark of the Covenant and says, God, what have we done wrong? Why are you not fighting the battle for us? And God says, there's a man who stole some of the holy things out of Jericho that I said not to. And Joshua finds Achan, and Achan confesses, and he takes Joshua, and he shows him the gold. Joshua says, what do we do with this this man, God? And God says, you stone him. And so Achan and his wife, and his kids, and all his animals are executed. When Dathan and Abiram, who are two rebels that are in the wilderness period when Moses is leading the Israelites, these two men, Dathan and Abiram, this is Numbers 16 and 26, when they rebel against Moses and they say, we can prophesy too, you aren't the only capable leader around here, we, can, we, we want a part of the decision-making process, and Moses says, all right, you stand over there, and I'll stand over here, and whoever God chooses is the leader of Israel. And the earth opens up and swallows Dathan and Abiram, and then closes back up on them. But not just them, it's their wives, and their children, and their animals. These stories of God's drastic justice in the Old Testament where 
where people's families are die in the judgments lead some people to question God's justice. Why would God do that? That isn't fair. That isn't justice. Pretty much without exception, the high-profile, big-name people who are leaving Christianity right now, this week it was Kevin Max from DC Talk, um, it's Audrey Assad and Marty Sampson and Rachel Held Evans and some others who decided we're going to leave Christianity because we don't believe it anymore. Pretty much without exception, they cite stories like this and say, I don't want to serve that God. My answer is, who are you to argue with God? If God does something that I don't understand, I'm the one that's wrong, not him. If he says this is justice, then it is, regardless of what makes sense to me. Because he's God, and I will answer to him at the end of time, not the other way around. I will not be the one interrogating him, why did you do this and this and this? He will be interrogating me, why did you do this and this and this? So if Jesus starts saying spooky things about eating flesh and drinking blood, and everybody leaves, I better be the one staying with Peter saying, where else am I going to go? There is no plan B. So I don't understand from a fleshly view of what justice is, it doesn't make sense that a man's family would be killed for his sins or that Bathsheba's husband would pay for her sin. I don't understand that, but it's, it's the way God does it in some instances. In 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah is the king of Israel. He takes some diplomats from Babylon who are actually there to spy on Israel's wealth. Uh, he thinks they're on a friendly diplomatic vision, uh, mission, but they're actually there to see when they can attack and where's their money and where, where, what cities have the most wealth in them. And he takes them into the holy place in the temple and shows them all of God's holy items, the made of gold and all the wealth that's there. And he brags about it. And he isn't promoting his God, he's promoting Israel's wealth. That's the sin. And when the diplomats from Babylon leave and go back, the prophet comes to King Hezekiah and he says, you fool, you took them in the holy place and you showed them all the gold? They're going to come back and they're going to sack this temple and take all the gold. And Hezekiah falls on his face and he says, God, please forgive me. And God says through the prophet, I do forgive you. It won't happen in your day. It'll happen when your grandson's king. And Hezekiah says, whew, I'm sure glad about that. I mean, what kind of a grandpa is that? And it did. It did happen. Hezekiah's grandson, the temple was sacked and all the gold was stripped. Hezekiah's grandson was a wicked man in his own right. God is not unjust. He does not punish one person for their ancestors' sins. But he decreed, God decreed that it would happen because of Hezekiah's sin. So, I want to talk to you this morning about what some people call generational sin. And we're going to go to Exodus 34. It'll be on the screen and I'll talk to you about you and your family and how God deals with you and your generational sin. Exodus 34 is the story, the passage in the story where Moses is getting the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai and he asks the same thing we just sang. Lord, show me your glory. I want to see you. I don't want to hear, just hear your voice thundering out of the cloud. I want to see you. And God says, well, you can't. You would die. Your body cannot stand my full presence. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in a crack in the rock, and I'll hold my hand over you, and I will pass by all my glory. And right as I am passed, I will remove my hand, and you can see me from behind. 
And this is what happens. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. God passes by in all of his glory, and that's what he says about himself. He makes one of the most ironic and paradoxical sentences in all of Scripture. I am the God who forgives sin to a thousand generations, but I never forgive sin. People pay for their grandparents' sin to the third and fourth generation. What in the world could that possibly mean? How can he say both in the same sentence? I want to read it to you in another translation. This is the New Living. The Lord came in a cloud and stood before him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, I am the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love on a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected even children in the third and fourth generations. The entire family is affected, even the third and fourth generations. We can argue all day on uh, what God makes happen and what you choose to happen, but regardless of nitpicking the, uh, the language of it, have you noticed that you are like your parents? In good and bad ways, but we're here to talk about the bad things this morning. Have you noticed that you inherited some personality things from your parents that you don't like? Like the older you get, the more you realize, oh, I am my mom, I am my dad, or a grandparent, or whatever. It's just true, it's just life that we pay for what our parents did. And I don't know that it's God doing it to us. I don't, some people use the word generational curses. And I, I believe that curses are real, but it may not be a curse all the time. It's just, it's just life in a fallen world. That because mom and dad made the choices they did, the kids have to pay. There is no other way it's ever going to work. You benefited from what they did right also. Yes? Sure. But you, and you didn't just inherit their sins and their personality. You inherited their body. Now, you are the one flesh that they made. When God says the two shall become one flesh, that's you. You are your parents. And for good and bad, the wounds and the habits and the ways of thinking and the family culture and the dysfunction, all of it passes down generation after generation after generation. And it's true that, that this happens because the girl who's deeply wounded by an alcoholic dad and hates her father and runs off from home at 17 and just happens to mysteriously pick a guy who does the same thing. And then her kids repeat her life. It's astounding how often that happens. Without planning it, without thinking it through, you find somebody like your parents. Because you are. Your parents. The, the son that hates his dad's temper and was hurt so badly by it, 
but grows up full of anger and repeats it with his kids? Is God making him do that to his kids? Absolutely not. But God's word is coming true. That the sins of the parents are passed down to the third and fourth generation. Your parents were wounded and inherited sin habits because your grandparents were wounded and inherited sin habits because your great-grandparents were wounded and inherited sin patterns all the way back to Noah and Adam. We're all in this together, folks. The way you think and act and treat food or money or anger, addiction, lust, divorce patterns, adultery, laziness, a welfare mentality, a work ethic, pride, fear of other people's opinions, the way you behave in private versus public, if you saw your parents be hypocritical in that, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to be obsessed with other people's opinion of how you look and think that they're all thinking about you all the time and your sibling conflicts. We're all just broken <laughs> because mom and dad were broken because grandma and grandpa were broken. And there are three different ways that people identify what's going on. Some people say it's, it's in your DNA. You just have a genetic predisposition to addiction like your mom and dad did. So dad was an alcoholic, you have a genetic predisposition to be an alcoholic or a meth addict or it's lust or anger or gambling or, or whatever it is. Some people would say it's DNA. You can see very clearly that there's a particular disease that runs through your family. And the doctors would tell you it's a genetic predisposition for X disease or problem. So some people are going to blame it on DNA. Some people are going to say that it's mostly modeling. But because you saw your parents as complete financial disasters who never had a budget, never had any money, always maxing out the credit cards, then you were not taught budgeting and correct spending and self-control in your finances, and so you do the same thing. Not because they sat down and taught you lessons and how to do it, but because that's just what you saw. And because you never were taught correctly and you can't know what you don't know. Hello? If you never saw your parents control their diet and exercise, you're probably not going to either. If you never saw them fast, you're probably not going to fast. If you never saw your parents healthy, healthily settle conflict, you're, not, you're going to come into your own marriage with absolutely no idea how to be healthy in conflict. You're with me. So some people are going to say it's psychological. It's, it's just the, the family you grew up in. It either models welfare mentality or work ethic. Your family either models um, chasing after the next thing and the next thing, or your mom was just jumping from man to man to man to man, and that's so that's what you do because that's all you know. And you have no idea how to be a wife because you never saw your mom be a wife. And you never have no idea how to be a husband and dad because you didn't have a dad around to show you what that was. And you could pick up things from other people here and there, but if you don't live it in your own family, you're not going to get it. Some people would say it's genetic. Some people would say it's just modeling, teaching. It's psychological. And then other people, especially in 
um, some Christian churches, you'll hear the word generational curse or generational sin, that there's a familiar spirit about your family and that the reason your family does the same things, all your siblings and all your cousins are just all financial failures or you're all severely overweight or you're all this or that or you have addiction run through your family and maybe this person or that person got free, but there's just a ton of addiction in your family and it, or there's divorce patterns generation after generation. They would blame it on a curse, an evil spirit. Like it just seems to be our family, no matter how hard we try, we could not, nobody can get off the ground in this particular area or that. I'm not here to tell you of those three, genetics or just teaching and modeling and psychology and, and or spiritual stuff. I'm not here to tell you that any of those are right or wrong. We're just going to address all three. How many of you know you are like your parents and grandparents? Every hand should be up. Yeah. If you think, well, I know what my parents did wrong, but I'm not like that, you can start with self-righteousness. You can start with deception. All right? You are your parents, whether you know it or not. Some of you very clearly know what mom and, did, did, mom and dad did wrong because it hurt you so badly. Others of you are a little lost, like, well, I think my mom and dad are pretty great people. Um, it's because you're involved in the same sin as them and nobody has repented yet. Hello. So you inherited genetics from your parents, you were taught certain things and other things you were not taught at all, and you don't even know what that is. What did you not learn? There's no way for you to know. And there's also curses and sin habits and patterns that are passed down spiritually. I'm here to tell you that there's Jesus. And he came to set you free from all three of those. If you genuinely believe that there is a curse on your family, like we're just cursed for divorce or we're just cursed for addiction or just, uh, there always seems to be some sort of crazy, crazy instability and demonic activity going on in our family, if you genuinely believe that, I'm, I'm not here to doubt you, I'm here to tell you that Jesus became a curse for you so that you can be blessed. Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus became a curse for you, and God put him to death so that you can be blessed. The curse is dealt with. It's gone. It's over. You don't need to be scared of it. You don't need to worry about it. Just stick with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 26.2 says a curse without cause cannot land. If you believe that your problems are a result of family modeling, like this is all I saw mom and dad do, and I don't know how to get out of that, I don't know how to break those cycles, um, I, I can't know what I don't know, I can't know what they didn't teach me, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has come to be your teacher. He has come to tell you the right way to do these things. It's, it's all here in this book. It's all right here. You obey God and you will inherit Jesus instead of inheriting failure and brokenness and instability from your parents. Next scripture, Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, we are united with Christ. Because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. If you are united with Christ, you have an inheritance from God. 
I said, you have an inheritance from God. You're not stuck with the inheritance that mom and dad left you. And I'm not talking about money. Some of it is that, but I'm talking about your body, and I'm talking about your soul, and I'm talking about the skills that you do or don't have or the wounds that you do or don't have. You're not stuck with that as your inheritance. You have an inheritance from God. If you have aligned yourself with Jesus, if you've united yourself with Christ, He is your inheritance, not what mom and dad did. Amen. And if you believe that your problem is genetic, well, four generations, the men in my family have died of heart attacks, so I guess I'm just genetically predisposed, I'm just going to die of a heart attack, or get cancer, or diabetes, or whatever it is, or I'm genetically disposed to this addiction, this is just the way it's always been in my family as far back as I know, and that's why I deal with this stuff. Okay? Not here to argue with that. I'm not here to tell you it's the only right answer or the only thing you need, but I'm certainly not here to answer or to argue with you. I'm here to answer it for you. I'm here to tell you that when you came to Christ, God rewrote your DNA. You have divine DNA. Look at this. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Whoever has been born of God, God's seed is in him. And the word seed in Greek there is sperma. God's chromosomes are in you. You have divine DNA written into your body and your spirit. And you are not just the one flesh that your parents created. And you're not doomed to being a repeat of them. Who are a repeat of their parents who are a repeat of their parents. You can say, no, the chain breaks with me. I am a new creation in Christ. And my grandkids are going to have a different life than my grandparents because the chain breaks right here. Because God rewrote my DNA and my kids are not going to inherit that because Jesus broke it in me. Amen. Amen. If you need more proof, here's another verse about the seed of God. And it means his DNA, his chromosomes, because the word is sperma. Since, we have purified, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not out of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Come on, your parents' DNA is corruptible. God's is not. That means physically it's never going to rot. The stuff you inherited from your parents, is this, this thing's going to die. But the incorruptible seed of God will never rot. But it also means it cannot be made to sin. We just saw that in 1 John. You inherit your parents' sin, but you inherit holiness from God. God rewrote your DNA. Your chromosomes are different. You are a new creation in Christ. Because Jesus paid for absolutely every consequence of our sin. It's all taken care of. Isaiah 53, 4-6. Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. How many? Ours. Not just you, you individually, your entire family. Hello? That's a global statement. I get that. That's every person in the world. I just want you to think about your family right now this morning. He took our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus paid not just for your individual sins, but he paid for the sins of your entire family. Three and four generations. I said three and four generations. The word of God in Exodus is true, but Jesus paid it. He fixed it. 
God isn't unjust in Exodus. That's perfect justice. But Jesus fulfilled it with perfect justice. Come on. Come on. He was pierced for all of us, all our family, everybody's transgressions and iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Your grandparents deserve punishment. Your parents deserve punishment. You deserve punishment. Your kids deserve hell. Your kids are not cute. They're hellions. They must be born again. Or they, were, they are damned. Your grandkids are not the most precious little things that have lived. They need Jesus or they will go to hell. The punishment that we deserved, God gave him to Jesus so that we can have peace with God, so that you don't go to hell, so that you can be with God. Even if no one else in your family has peace, you can have peace because you can know Jesus took the punishment I deserve. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. I know that's all of humanity, but I just want you to think about your family. I want you to close your eyes and picture your four generations of your family. And think, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. So, whether you think your problems are genetic... Or training, modeling, psychology, or spiritual, you have no excuse. If you think that your problems are genetics, guess what? You can't blame them on that because you are in Christ and you have the seed of God in you. If you think that your problems are, well, my parents just didn't outfit me correctly. They taught me really bad stuff, and I'm just broken, and I'm wounded, and I don't, I don't know how to, how to do this. Guess what? Guess what? You got a book. You got Jesus right here, the Word of God, who will teach you, who will heal you, who will show you how to do it right, who can fulfill your every need. And if you think there is actually a curse on your family, if there's a spirit operating Guess what? He became a curse for you and he was nailed to the tree. God says in Numbers, I turned the curse into a blessing because I love you. Amen. But Hebrews 6.12, this is not on the screen. Hebrews 6.12 says that we have to claim every promise by faith. You actually have to put your faith in Jesus for these things to be true because you may have genetic predispositions to diseases or addiction or so on. You may have some large deficiencies in your understanding of how to handle money or or food or marriage or parenting you may truly be battling evil spirit stuff that is oppressing you well everybody in my family is prone to anxiety and depression that truly may be a spirit you have to come to jesus you have to deal with that so we're going to do that right now we're going to just address all three at the same time So I'm going to lead you in some praying. This is just between you and God, nothing public. You're not confessing anything to me. You're just talking to God. Um, Not asking you to identify anything. But I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And the first thing I want you to do is to ask God to forgive you for your sin. Because ultimately you are responsible for every choice you've made. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame society. You can't blame the devil. You are responsible. 
So I want you to ask God to forgive you for your own sin. Take responsibility and own it. Don't blame anyone or anything. It's yours. You made the choice. You said the words. You did the deed. And now before God, I want you to forgive your parents. You have to forgive your dad. This is of utmost importance that you forgive your father. Malachi says this is the way to healing for an entire nation. It is that the children would forgive their fathers and the fathers would come back to their children. You must forgive your dad. Whatever he did or whatever he didn't do, before God, tell God you forgive him. I know there may be some very strong feelings and that forgiveness is a process and there may need to be a lot of healing. But you can, by an act of your will, you can tell God right now, I choose to forgive. Whatever that means, I will work it out. Because if Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. You need to forgive your stepdad. Be specific and be personal. This is just you and God right now. You need to forgive your mom. Tell God, God, I forgive my mom for the choices that she made, for the things that she said, for the instability for the temper, for the addiction, whatever your situation is, whatever you need to forgive your mom for, do it right now. Clean your heart out. Get your heart clean toward your mom. You need to forgive your stepmom. Some of you need to forgive your siblings. Some of you need to ask forgiveness to your siblings. Get it all out. Get out all the junk and the bad memories and the pain and the anger. The competition, the judgment, get it all out. Give it all to God. Okay, so first you ask God to forgive you. Then you forgave your parents. Now I want you to pray for your parents. I want you to ask God to forgive them. This is not you forgiving them. I want you to ask God to forgive them. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. When you're kids, you think your parents know what they're doing, but when you became a parent, you realize that we don't. We're all just flying by the seat of our pants. And that maybe mom and dad made the choices they did because they didn't know any better. And maybe they should have known better. Or maybe they did know better. But ask God to forgive them. Ask God to strike it from the record of their life. To cover it in the blood of Jesus. 
God, please don't judge my dad for that memory. I forgive him, and I ask you to forgive him. God, I forgive my mom, and I ask you to forgive her. Erase that from the record so we can have a clean slate. I want you to ask God to forgive your grandparents and your great-grandparents for the things that were passed on down through your family. You may not even know those people, but God does. You can still ask. You can still pray for them. I specifically want you to ask God to forgive any sort of witchcraft involvement in the history of your family. False religion, Mormonism, masonry, occult stuff, horoscopes, horror movies, tarot cards, seances, idol worshipers, if your family comes from that sort of a history, drugs, Drugs are witchcraft, folks. And it's a demonic door. Ask God to forgive that in your family and wash it away in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood is more powerful than all the world's sin combined. Thank you. Your Father laid on you our iniquity. Thank you for paying that price. Thank you for taking that suffering. Thank you for bleeding on our behalf. Thank you that your blood speaks a better word than all the words that have been spoken against us and our families. All the lies and all the curses and all the anger and all the blame, your blood speaks a better word. Lord, I ask you to wash all these sin away that's in everyone's heart, on everyone's mind, everything that needs dealt with, so that the people in this room right now, the people watching online, can be free. And now I want you to picture a chain. We sang he's the chain breaker. I want you to picture that chain that's on you for whatever reason. And the Holy Spirit comes with his Holy Spirit fire, a blowtorch, and he just cuts that chain right there. Your link in the chain is cut. You're not breaking relationship with your parents. You're going to honor your father and mother more than ever before. You're not breaking relationship, but you're breaking the chain of sin. You're breaking the chain of bad habits. You're breaking the chain of excuses. You're breaking the chain of lies. You're breaking the chain of depression or anxiety or addiction or gambling or drinking. You're breaking the chain of hopelessness, of poverty. You're breaking the chain of that disease, of early death, of suicide. Of You're breaking chains of adultery, marriage failure. You're breaking chains of laziness. Be the chain breaker, Jesus. Do what your Father gave you to do. Come and set the prisoner free. Release the captive. Bind up the brokenhearted. Heal the sick. Come, Jesus. As we forgive our parents and confess our own sin, you rewrite our story. Rewrite our DNA. 
set, set people free who are oppressed by the wicked enemy. Teach those who need taught. Parents, if you need to repent to your kids, I don't mean to do it right now, but you do it for real. You look them in the eye and you say, I have done this in front of you. I have made excuses. I thought it was just the way it had to be, but I'm telling you now, by the power of Jesus, I am going to change. I have repented of this, and it's going to change. And you're going to be different than me. Confess and repent to your kids whatever the Lord brings to mind. Do not be too proud to apologize to your kids. Now, I want you to pray this out loud with me. We're going to thank Jesus. Say, so thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for saving my family from our sins. Thank you for becoming a curse for me and dying on a tree that I can be blessed by my Heavenly Father. Thank you for teaching me truth. I choose to obey your word instead of following in the ways of my family. Thank you for putting the seed of God in me. I am a new creation in Christ. Thank you that I get to inherit you instead of all my family sin. I bless my mom and dad. I honor my grandparents. Set my children free. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Lord, I bless everyone here who prayed that in sincerity. Lord, I pray that you would answer every question, that you would fulfill every need, that you would cut every chain, that you would heal everybody, that you would restore each family represented here, that it wouldn't stop with us, Lord, but that our siblings would be saved and our cousins would be saved and our grandchildren would be saved and our grandparents would be saved, that you would rewrite history, Lord, that you would be the restorer of streets to dwell in, the repairer of the breach, the, those that rebuild the devastation of many generations. We bless you and we praise you, Jesus. Thank you for hope. Thank you for truth. Thank you for life. Thank you for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.